You're listening to Michael Easley in Context, and we have a great interview to share with you today, which I will let my dad, Michael Easley, tell you about in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about some changes that are headed your way with Michael Easley in Context. If you've been listening for a while, you know that this show is a lot of things. It's sermons, mostly expository Bible teaching, but most recently, a 50,000-foot view of all 66 books of the Bible. It's interviews with subject matter experts, and it's Ask Dr. E episodes where Michael fields theological questions from you, our listeners. So instead of offering all the things on this one show, we are going to continue offering all of those different resources through three shows. Beginning what? Three shows? <laughs> what? Beginning in January of 2022, we will launch three separate podcasts, Michael Easley in Context, Ask Dr. E, and Michael Easley Sermon. This sounds like a lot of work for me. It's Golly. for me. You're already oh, doing oh, it. It's oh, more okay. work for me. Oh, then, then, then fine, do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> on Monday, January 3rd, a new podcast will drop called Michael Easley Sermons, where, you guessed it, we will only be airing sermons, primarily expository Bible teaching, each and every Monday. Then on Tuesday, we will continue to publish one episode a week right here on Michael Easley in Context, where we will go back to interviews only. Michael will interview believers and subject matter experts to help us live out a biblical worldview in the context of our own lives. And then finally on Thursdays, a whole new podcast for Ask Dr. E, where each week Michael will answer just one biblical or theological question in 10 minutes or less. Can you you do it? I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to work on that. (laughs) So all the content we've been creating over the last several years, but now in three different shows. So you can go straight to the source you want and get the content you want. So if you just want to hear expository Bible teaching, head to Michael Easley Sermons. Or if you love our Ask Dr. E segments, go binge dozens. There will be dozens of episodes available for you, each 10 minutes-ish or less. (laughs) And if you want to hear interviews, just come right back here to Michael Easley in Context. Or, of course, we would love if you subscribe to all three and listen to all. Now, by the way, because some people click on their computer on the email you send them. Some use an iPhone, some use an Android phone. So there are ways to aggregate all these podcasts in one place, right? Yes, on your phone. Uh Uh-huh. So if you don't know how to do this, just go to YouTube and look on how to aggregate your programs because you could click on each of those three icons and then they would come to your phone or your tablet or your computer, right? That's right. And when you open that app and you'll just hit listen now and if there's a new episode, it'll be right there at the top ready to go for you. It's interesting how many people I talk to that don't know how to aggregate their podcasts and they'll listen to like one that's, have you heard this crime thing and they'll love it, but they won't know that there's all kinds of things available free of charge, but they have to go select them. Yeah, You can actually have it where it doesn't download until you click it or automatically download, right? Right. Right. And truthfully, if you don't know, likely you can just grab someone in their 20s or 30s and they could do it for you on your phone. Absolutely. Can you help me find this podcast with this crazy guy named Michael Easley in context? (laughs) Too young, though, they don't do podcasts. So it's got to, you know, it's it's a millennial. You need to find find a millennial and they'll help you. All right. Okay. Today's interview, Dad, tell us about it. So Bill Howard and I met through Family Life. Your mom and I were on the speaker team with Family Life Weekend to Remember conferences for 15 years. And Bill Howard, uh, although we did not go to seminary together, we had a similar trajectory. And he was on staff with Family Life, and he was a writer, a content writer. He wrote famously the Family Manifesto, which is a remarkable document about what 
the Christian family is. And so we became friends through family life. And little by little, we've kept up that friendship. When we moved to Mill, Tennessee, some 13, 14 years ago, Bill Howard was very involved in the founding of the church we served for 10 years. And so we just kept up our friendship. And Bill is a gifted evangelist. He was on staff with Family Life, and then he went to work for Search Ministries, and now he works with a ministry called Pursue. And I've never known a guy who is so disciplined, intentional, and able to talk to people about the Lord in an easy way, but also in a way that moves people along. So at our church here at Stonebridge, I asked him if he'd sit down and, and talk to us about how do you share Christ and what are the issues today and tell us some stories about what it's like to share Christ with people and encourage them not to be afraid to share their love of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Amazing. Well, we'll listen to it right now. When churches start, a lot of times churches start with this verse, Ephesians 4.11. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And then it goes on in verse 12 to talk about for the equipping of saints for the work of service. But I wanted to camp on that just a moment because these are four gifts that God gave his church. And we need to differentiate between gifting and office, for example. So the office of elder, presbyteros or episcopos, versus the gifting of these four things that Christ gave his church. And you'll notice that evangelists are listed in this often forgotten list of things that God gave his church. Why? Because he said to share the gospel of Christ, and that was his great commission. Go therefore make disciples. Actually, it's make disciples as you go of all ethnos. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 1-8, they were to wait until the Holy Spirit indwelt them to receive power to be his witness, to talk about him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and their most part of the earth. Most churches, um, and, and this is not the guilt and shame interview. I don't think guilt and shame help anybody when it comes to talking about Christ. We need we know how we need to have confidence. We need to have joy in talking about our Lord. And that's one reason I wanted Bill to help us, because he does this so greatly. I would say Bill is a gifted evangelist. Now, that does not get the rest of us off the hook. Let Bill and others do that work. Because we have in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, where Paul is telling the younger disciple, Timothy, he says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. It's a work. Aragon. It takes some effort. It takes intentionality. We overuse the word intentionality a lot, but it takes intentionality. It takes a purposefulness. And again, I've sat at lunches with Bill over the years. I've seen him in conferences when he opens the Bible and talks about how a person can embrace Christ, and he does it really well. So all with that aside, um, we've known each other for a long, long time, and um, it came to me this morning, you wrote a pamphlet years ago called Religion Sucks. Remember that? I didn't write that. I, I got that. Somewhere. Oh, I thought yeah, you wrote yeah. it. No. It fits your personality. Has, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I gave it to a guy on a plane one time who was very antagonistic toward me. And I said, well, you know, Jesus thinks religion sucks too. He said, really? He said, yeah. He didn't like the Pharisees, the religious yeah. people that put on the coat of religion. Be very, you know, very unpromising to a person that does not know Christ. So I said, but God wants you to know him personally, not through religion. Through relationship. 
Bill has a list of questions, because isn't that one of the hardest things for most people, is to how do you turn a conversation to a spiritual topic? Yes. Well, I always say, I wish I had a glass up here, but evangelism is really like filling the rim of a glass with your finger until you find a crack in it through questions. It asks tons of questions. These people like to talk about themselves a lot, right? So that's about their family, their marriage, their work, their money, whatever, kids. And you find sometimes people go, wow, that's not working well for me, and ask more about that. Explore that crack, so to speak. And all you just told me, Michael, what parts God put in your life with that? Mm-hmm. It just opens up tons of conversation, that one question. What parts God put in your life over the years with that issue? Some of the questions, uh, you talk about what's your religious background, what part has God played in your life, have you ever felt close to God? That's an interesting question to ask a person. Have you ever felt close to God? Yeah, well, the funny thing with that over the years with me, because we live in a very religious community here in Nashville, at least it used to be, but uh, people here attend the church quite often but may not know Christ. And so you say, what, have you ever felt close to God? And they said, yeah, so tell me who he is. I'll talk about him. And I said, well, you, Mike, you sound very, you like you know God very well. I said, yeah, I do. I said, well, can you tell me what's his name? They'll go, a deer in the headlight? I'm not sure. <laughs> they don't know Christ, they don't know God, right? Because they don't need to know Christ and know God. Let's start at the beginning. When you're sharing Christ with a person, let's get through that. How do we transition the conversation? And then I want you to talk about what you're going to talk to them about. So give us a couple of scenarios. You've been with people for 20 plus years where you yeah, talked yeah. about Christ. Give us a story, a scenario where you talked to somebody and this was the question that dialed in. Well, one guy here in town, a friend named John, his issue was with his dad. Dad passed away about two years before. So I asked him, I said, if you could ask your dad one question, what would it be? He wanted to tell me, take me to lunch to tell me what he was going to say. We had a lunch at, doesn't matter, some restaurant here in town. But anyway, he said, well, the question I asked my dad is, can I hold your hand? He's 49 years old. I want to hold his dad's hand. He asked one more question. So I said to John, I said, listen, John, that's, I can get that in your heart. You really want to connect your dad. But guess what? Your dad's gone now. But I'll tell you what God the Father did is he gave you a son so you can hold his hand through his, his son. He gave you a son. And then he shared the gospel with him. And I said, all you do is reach out to grab his son's hand say yes to him. And we went out to his pickup truck after lunch. He gave his life to Christ in the truck. Awesome. I wish he was here. John's, anyway, he's actually a, a dear friend, very life-giving soul today. Great ministry he has. We don't like to talk about numbers and, you know, like keeping records, but you've led hundreds of people to Christ right here in Middle Tennessee. You and Terry have. Mm-hmm. And as you look back on those stories, personal relationships that were broken in their life, a bad experience at church? What are some of the things that have kept people from embracing Christ? I think two things, either lack of knowledge or guilt. I think they have to be good enough. People always feel like they've got to upgrade their life to get to God, either prayer or church or something. They don't want to do that. People really feel guilt that way, but I feel like it's a work to get to heaven. By the way, I've got some for you here. A $20 bill? Yeah, for you. Thank you. You know what that's called? Uh, a gift? Yeah. I was hoping no strings. <laughs> no, no strings. Well, string it's a gift. Back. People think heaven's a reward. This, really? Yeah, you do. <laughs> People think heaven's a reward, but it's not a reward. It's a gift. They don't get that a lot. In fact, my neighbor I've been working with here lately, my neighbor has lived next door to me, and 
we're still in process, but he's uh, very antagonistic toward me initially and just very rude as a neighbor. Yeah. I didn't know him. He was a renter, but he did some things that was very offensive. So over COVID, I was out driving around my property, my golf cart. I saw him in the yard. So I decided, God just put my heart to go talk to him. I never talked to him before after a year living there. So I drove up to him, and I signaled him over to come talk to me. He did. You can tell he's kind of very, you know, sheepish when he came over. And I said, hey, uh, listen, I know you see a big pile of stuff to move over in the back of your yard. You can't get over because there's a creek in the backyard, so you can't get over there. But you use my bridge to go over there. I said, use my bridge. He was like, really? I said, yeah. It's just that his whole countenance changed. But now he's one of my best friends. It's crazy. And so the last conversation we just had, he just moved was uh, in uh, a little bar. He wanted to take me out for a drink and some chicken wings. So went out there and hung out for this bar and had a beer with him, and uh, we're just talking. And So finally I thought to myself, i got to just be more direct where he is. I gave him a lot of tons of material, more than a carpenter, how good it had to be to go to heaven, those kind of books like that. So just seeing where God's working his heart, you know, because you can't be an ostrich and stick your hand into the soil of somebody's heart, right? That's not our job. God's job is to save somebody. Our job is to share, right? You mentioned two resources, More Than a Carpenter, which has been in print for a long time, and then this book by our friend Andy Stanley, How Good is Good Enough? And you can buy these in bulk for a couple of bucks a piece if you buy I them I hand the things out like candy. Yep. Yep. It's great. And they're, and they're very good, uh, soft, apologetic books. And Andy's book is really good because it's that whole, you know, well, I've done this, I've done that, God can never love me. But when you think of sort of the personality issues that come to you, is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it agnostic, atheist? What are some things you've observed? Well, it depends who the person is. I mean, he first came to me and said, I'm an atheist. It turns out he's not. He just, his issue is good enough. So he grew up Catholic, so he really believed he had to upgrade his life to be good enough for God. So his whole life's being good. But I said, heaven's a gift, not a reward. Mm-hmm. Never heard that before, ever. So we got talking. So we met at the bar that day. I had him open his phone and read uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. Believe it or not, of all verses read. You know what that says? The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of them believing, so they can't see. I said, Dave, that's you. Hmm. He went, what? Yeah, it's you. You're, you won't believe. If you don't believe, you never see God, never. So I said to him, if you ever in your heart somewhere sometimes said this, God, are you really there? Do you exist? Can I know you somehow? And he said, yeah, I prayed that. I said, when? About three years ago we moved here. I said, you know what? God, that's your prayer. He said, what do you mean? Because I'm here with you. I mean, I'm the answer. I know, I know God. I want you to know him too. His whole count has changed from that point. It was this last conversation we had about two weeks ago. So then we got back to my, dropping him off in his car, and I said to him, you have a Bible? I said, no. You want one? No. Why not? I have you to teach me that. <laughs> I thought, well, anyway. But that's, it's, so, it's funny how the, 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 here's the thing. All evangelism is loving people enough to tell them the truth about who God is. That's what evangelism is. That's it. Just loving people enough to tell them the truth. That's it. Why are so many people afraid or unwilling to talk about that? I think fear of rejection and being either not knowing the answers or just being rejected. But I just really feel that uh, this call to Christ, here's my phrase, if Christ be God and died for me, 
what sacrifice is too big or too small for me to tell people how much God loves them? Mm-hmm. I don't get why not doing that. So my, my view, it's like nothing to lose, everything to gain. By the way, theologically, what two things last forever? God's word and God's people. Yeah, all people. Yeah. Either with, yeah, with him or without him. Yeah. All people last forever, either with him or without him. Yeah. See? I want people to go to heaven with me. That's my heart for people, right? Yeah. Just love enough to tell them the truth. Have you ever gotten into an argument or an antagonistic discussion with somebody or they were mad about you bringing this up? Yes. Very rarely. Mm-hmm. One time a guy stuck out his tongue and it said Satan had Satan engraved on his tongue. That was my worst. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, Cindy and I, uh, we were sharing stories a couple weeks ago about this. Cindy and I took a couple to a, a ministry that was set up. It was an athlete who was a star, and he was going to share his story, how he came to Christ. And we sat at these little tables, you know, with the response cards. This was years ago in Dallas, in the early 80s. And uh, we took this couple there, and, and it was very well done. Everybody had suits on, you know, and took them back to their home. And I said, well, what, what did y'all think of the night? And he said to me, I've never been so offended in my entire life. Yeah. yeah. And Cindy and I are newly Shock. married. And I don't think we had children. Now. I'm like, oh, my Lord, what do I say now, Jesus? This is your problem, you know. And, and we just kept being kind to them and loving them. But that was it. Yeah. It wasn't like there was no animosity after that. We were still mm-hmm. we were neighbors physically, very close neighbors in our neighborhood. And other than that, there's been very few times um, those here at Stonebridge remember Rob Morgan a few weeks back telling the story about sitting on the plane and uh, he felt this, I need to talk to this guy about Christ. And he had his Bible and he was working on a sermon. And he, remember the story? He goes, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then finally he just said to the guy, I'm a Baptist preacher. Do you have any questions about the Bible? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And led the guy to Christ. You know, so a lot of fear is things that are never going to happen. And even when they've not gone well, it hasn't been the end of the world. No. I mean, most marriages have Rarely more conflict than, <laughs> yeah, than sharing right, Christ yeah, with right, a friend, yeah. right? One time I was in a plane going to Springfield, Missouri to speak, and uh, this guy was beside me, the little cigar box plane. You don't have two seats. So I'm sitting here, and this guy's sitting there. I'm just tired. I want to get some rest. This guy kept talking to me. I'm going, please don't talk. <laughs> but he kept talking, talking, talking. You know, sometimes God tells you to talk to this guy. You ever heard that? Ever felt that way? So I said, okay. Started asking him questions about himself. He was actually a salesman for nuts and bolts. Nuts and bolts. Nuts and bolts. That's what he did. For, he's so proud of that, which is fine, you know, of course. But uh, so I said, to, I said, hit him. Where do you office? Is his home? So I'm filling the room with glass, right? Where do you office at home? You got kids? Yeah. What do you tell them? He said, Get the hell out of my office. How's that working for you? You know. And then we talked a bit more, and then he finally said, Now, what do you do? I work with guys just like you. <laughs> literally, I literally said that. He said, so what do you mean you work with guys like me? I said, well, help guys put their faith together in relationship with God through Christ. Really? What's that mean? So he showed the gospel with him, and he came to Christ on the plane before we landed in Springfield. Because guess what God was doing? What's God doing? How do people come to Christ, by the way? Who draws them? What's our job? Tell Just the tell them. Tell the Just story. tell them. That's it. Just tell them. That's it. So God was driving that guy on the plane. But I was kind of being lazy not to tell him, but I felt he just told him, you know? <laughs> One of the segue questions you have I love is, uh, would you like to know more about how to begin a relationship with God? And that's an easy question to ask, you know, someone right. else. Yeah, it's very easy. 
And then, like, uh, just the other day with my friend, I told my neighbor, I said, if you could know God personally, would you want not want to? Really? If he's alive and he's living, would you not want to know God? Hmm. He thought, well, he, come. he was being very antagonistic toward me. He said, no. But I gave him those books, and his heart's opened up. The guy I just told you about in the bar totally changed. But don't assume anything with people. Sometimes the most obnoxious people are closest to God than the ones who mm. were very religious, by the way. Mm. True. By the way, I met a guy here in town years ago at Cracker Barrel on uh, Harding Road, and we sat down. It was a planned meeting because his name was Rule, and he was an atheist, professing, and somebody wanted to meet him, and so I did. So he sat down at the table, and like me and him, like right now, the table's right here, and I said, Rule is obviously an elephant on the table, right? Which is, is there a God? And I said, no, you say there's no God at all, but I do. So my question is this for you, Rule. You never think about God ever? You know what he said? He got very emotional. You know what he said? Every day. Every day. People are so lost, so hungry, you know, really want to know God. Just uh, My favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Can you read that for us, Michael? You got that? I can sure look it up. Matthew, it's talking about seeing the people felt compassion. When I see people, sometimes you go, I don't like people. I don't want to see people, right? Especially in these days when natural seems to grow like a weed, right? But Jesus felt compassion on people because they were sheep without a shepherd, downcast and distraught. So therefore he said, now pray the Lord harvest is plentiful, for labors are few. Pray for the Lord harvest for labors, right? Let me read it. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech or pray to the Lord of the harvest, no, it's his harvest, right? To send out workers into his harvest. Mm -hmm. And again, that's what I often talk about. It's an interesting transaction. We're not asked to close the deal, close the sale, to convince somebody. We're asked to introduce the information of the personal work of Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit drawing them. It's the Holy Spirit convicting them. It's the Holy Spirit leading them to that decision. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting transaction. It's It's, not like anything in the world. It's great. It's so fun. By the way, a phrase I like from Norm Geithner says this. Our job is not to bring the whole world to Christ. Our job is to bring Christ to the whole world. That's our job. That's it. It's very simple, very fun. That's an adventure. So fun to be part of what God does. Another one of your questions you used that I loved is that if Christ is standing in the end zone, where on the field are you in relationship to him? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. So I said 80 yards away or 20 in on the end zone. I see that. They go, well... One guy said, I don't think there's a field. <laughs> so one guy said, I'm in the stands. I've had all kinds of people that respond to that. But well, sometimes guys will say on the one-yard line, I said, so what's going to take for you to cross over to the end zone? He goes, I don't know, because I don't know how to become a Christian. You know all you have to do? He said, what? Just ask. Just ask God to save you and forgive your sin and save you. It's that simple. Have you received a gift? Did you ask for me? Thank you. you ask for me? Thank you. No. No, I gave it to you, right? But what you have to do for it become yours? Take it out of your Take hand. it. Yep. I just take it, receive him. John 1, 12, 13. Another one that you use is uh, what's keeping you from crossing over yeah. into the end zone. You've got to have some good responses to that one. 
Well, normally by that point, they're not sure. Mm -hmm. One guy that I let across, a surgeon here in town, uh, he said that. He says, well, I don't feel like I need to do it right now. And he had an issue with his dad, a lot of animosity with his dad. When he was younger, his dad would tell him to read a book and not play Tonka trucks when he was eight. So his dad came home, he closed the door to his room, pretending he was reading. So very hurt for his dad that way. So I said to him, I said, will you close the door to your dad when you're eight? You haven't closed ever since to God, your father. Mm. So right now, once you knock on the door, open the door to your heart right now. So I said that, he just started bawling. Literally, a surgeon in town here. And tears would come down through his fingers, just pulling this water through his fingers. And he gave his life to Christ. You work a lot with men, so this is somewhat of a, oh, by the way, question. But how many guys have father issues that discolor their view of God, and then the sort of the ancillary view of that isn't interesting that God the Father sent God the Son for us to become children. So this father-son thing we cannot escape. No. It's not just a happenstance. No. It's theologically the construct he uses, that God loves the Son perfectly, the it's Son loves huge. the Father perfectly. Huge. In fact, there's a book written by a guy named Paul Bitts, I think, and it's called The Faith of the Fatherless. Mm -hmm. You read that? I have not. Faith of the, the Fatherless. The Faith of the Father. It's about five atheists in the world that had their all fatherless. They're like Freud, Bertrand Russell, Margaret O'Hare. Okay. And ben, Madeline Murray O'Hare. Yeah, yeah, Madeline Murray O'Hare. And they all had serious father issues, the wounds that her, the father was either neglect or absent. So got people in their heart really long for God. In fact, all the guys have uh, written to you lately, it's all father issues. Their fathers died. They feel very mm -hmm. offended by God that they let their fathers die. I tell them, we're all going to die. The question is how and where. Like Mac Baxter told me one time, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We're all going to die, right? Those doctors. Yeah. I love these clarifying questions, too. And these help me as you and I were talking through this. What do you mean by that? How do you know that to be true? And so often we hear people talk about, well, you know, they create God in their image. If I was God, I would not allow AIDS. If yeah. I was God, I wouldn't allow the Rwanda massacres. If I was God, fill in the blank. And your question is, well, how do you know it to be true? Yeah. Where do you get information? Where do you get it? They don't really know. You say, I know it's true. They don't know that either. And I said, what if you're wrong? That's where hell comes into play in the gospel. There's a consequence for your sin. I always tell people this, too. It's funny when you hear they say this. I say Michael, ever heard of the, the term gospel? They go, well, yeah. You know what it means? Go, I don't know. You know what it means? Good news. I say, you know why it's good news? Because there's bad news. Mm -hmm. That's why it's good news. Yeah. You and I uh, have a, a dear friend, uh, Larry Moyer, who has a ministry called Eventel, Evangelistic Tell. And he was the one that took the Roman road and made it the bad news, good news. Mm -hmm. And there were two verses and two illustrations and two verses and two illustrations. Right. It was a very easy method. How important do you think it is for folks to have some kind of structure or method just to get going in your own heart and mind how to talk to people about Christ? Key. For example, a lot of times I can sit down with a Christian person here in Nashville and say, can you tell somebody how to come to Christ personally? They go, I have no clue what to say. I don't have to tell them about Christ. Mm -hmm. I don't have to share the gospel. Another verse, can you read this too, Michael? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. I can. That's in the New Testament, right? Yep. <laughs> Goofball. By the way, Michael is one of the best teachers around with the Bible, right? So I can't can ask him anything. 17? 1 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The Stop. old things. Therefore, who? If anyone 
Who's that? Anyone? It's not Jesus. Any Christian, right? Guess what any Christian is then? A new creature. A new creature. Therefore, what God do? The old things passed away, and new things have come. What are the new things here? You tell me. You're the evangelist. Keep reading. (laughs) Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Wow. What did he give us? A ministry of reconciliation. Keep going. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling. By the way, reconciling five times in this passage. Here's the simple gospel here. What did God do? Reconciled us. Reconciled the world to himself, not right. counting their trespasses against them. Is that not good news? And he has committed to us so the things. word of reconciliation. One thing committed to us, one thing. What did he commit to us? The word. What's that? The gospel. Therefore, next verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. Should be or are, will be or should be. It says are in my Bible. Are ambassadors. It's kind of like when a man gets married and he becomes a husband. So should he be a husband or will he be a husband? But he is a husband, right? It's like seeing the husband, you can be a good one or a bad one. That's the issue for us as Christians. What kind of ambassador am I to be for Christ? Ambassador's a kludgy word for us. What do you, what do you think of when you think of an ambassador well, it's for a, Christ? It's, they speak on behalf of God. But it's important to know the gospel because he committed us to the word of God, the gospel. So we've used that word a lot even in our little conversation here. Give us the simple way to articulate what is the gospel. It is God died for us to forgive our sin through Christ. Basically, I see this. God put on an earth suit, came to get us, died on our cross for our sin, and rose again and said, come to me. I'll give you eternal life. He asked me. He lived, he died, he was buried. Now he's inside the burial because that's the confirmation of death. Right. And then he's, he's risen again. Yeah. And then he offers to all of us, any First of Christ us, is 15. a free gift called eternal life. Can I finish verse 20? Yeah. Okay. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, yeah. we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Mm. Yeah. Think about this. Like I told my friend, when he asked the question, is God really there? God, if you're there, God, please help me. I said, he asked your prayer. I believe because I'm an ambassador. I said, because I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to be able to tell you about who he is. Right? That's how it works. But you have to have that confidence in your relationship with God. By the way, every time you share your faith, the one word in the Bible is used in evangelism is the word prezia or priazamai which means boldness or confidence or frankness, truthfulness, conciseness. Just be bold and courageous about your faith. Don't be shy about it. Don't bait and switch people. Just, and, just And let's caveat that. You don't have to be boldness that's not normally who you are. No, yeah. Just be clear. Yes. Be confident. I always tell folks, I tell myself, smile yeah. when you're talking yeah. about it. Yeah. You know, I, I believe this. You know, this has changed my life. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found helpful is, you know, no one can argue with our experience. No. I was a sinful person. I was a drug user. I was licentiousness. I was a crazy teenager. And when I met Christ, those things went away. Really? I didn't have the, I didn't, I didn't have the, well, I'm still crazy, but I didn't have, I didn't have the desire to get stoned anymore. Yeah. I I knew it was wrong. I also knew that I was forgiven. Yeah. And that experience was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Wait, he forgave me? And so when you can share that with a person, your own story, saying, I live this way, and that's what Paul does, right? Before, right. during, and after. Right. Before Agrippa, this is what I was like. I was persecuting. 
God met me in a powerful way, and after this is what my life now is. Yeah. Before, during, after is a very easy way exactly. to tell our story. Yeah. We don't have to be like bold like a Billy Graham. No, no. Just be confident of what be you be believe. Truthful. Just yeah. be truthful and factual. Just yeah. share the truth. Just care enough about people to tell them the truth. Care kind of enough about people to tell, tell them the truth. Them the so, truth. for example, it's like this. If I was a doctor, Matt Baxter, a physician, and I say, you did a brain scan inside that tumor, didn't tell me about it, would that be loving? No, what would be loving? That tumor, I've got to help you there. Same thing with people who are, don't know God. They, they're sinners. They're, they're going to go to hell. What would be loving? To tell them the truth about who God is because God loves them, right? Do I love somebody enough to tell them the truth? Yeah. One verse that you and I talked about last week, and I want to pair this with another passage I often use, but Colossians 1.27, let me read it, and then you can talk about it. Paul writing to the Colossian believers, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why do you use that verse? How do you use that verse? Well, because the mystery is that God became man through Christ. Again, my, another verse I love is Philippians 2, 5 through 10, about who Christ is. Because the, think about this. I use an illustration. Can I tell you an illustration you use? Of course. All right, I just shared this the other day with a guy that had a stroke from New York City, came to town here, never had met or met. I shared a with him at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what it's like? Is it, it's like, think about ants on a road one morning. Let's say you had compassion on the ants. You're walking on the road one morning, ants building an ant pile in the middle of the road. But you know at 8 o'clock they're going to get smashed by the traffic. Let's say you want to tell them to move. Be safe. <laughs> Follow me, be safe from your peril coming to you. Let's say if you walked along and said, hey, guys, move. Ants, please move. Your pile is going to come at 8 o'clock and you're going to die. Will they listen to you? No. What if you went, guys, move, move, move? You get bit. That's right. Yeah. So what's the best way to communicate to an ant in his language to how to move for his ant pile? Become an ant. Become an ant. That's what God did through Christ. Became a man through Christ to communicate to us. So in the same way, the ant, you said, listen, I'm an ant, but I'm actually a man in an ant. Ants will go, you're crazy. You're just one of us, right? Some will follow, some won't, right? Just like Christ. Christ came, he said, the mystery right there, that God came through Christ in a man. It's phenomenal. Listen, God walked on the earth. What date is it? Today? Yeah. July 4th, 2021? Since what? Well, that's a discussion. <laughs> since and the birth, Germany, yeah. since the man somehow changed the whole way the world records time. That's incredible. That's because God walked in the earth. Very I like cool. to often refer to Colossians 1, 29. After the verse you referenced, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which again, that's hard for us to you know. The word there is agonizomai, we're agonizing, but it's his power which works mightily within me. So we're proclaiming him, we're teaching, we're admonishing to present Christ to people. And so there is that aspect, it is effort, it is work. It is work. But are we off put by the idea that it's work or we need to redefine what the work is? Well, Ephesians 2.10, what's that say? Uh, help me beforehand, out. Beforehand. I can do 8, 9, and 10, but yeah. you throw 10 yeah. at me at the ringer. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the good works that were prepared before that time. That we should walk, walk in, in them. What mood is that in the Greek? Pardon? Should. What should 
Buddha is that in the Greek? Should. It's the mood of ought. Mood of ought? Yeah, mood of ought. Ought to. Ought. Yeah, subjunctive mood. Subjunctive. I know subjunctive. Subjunctive. Right. I know subjunctive. I had one on my neck once. <laughs> anyway, it's the mood of you ought to do this, this work. You ought to do this work God prepared for, for you, right? Yes. And but, so people but, should do this because it's a work God prepared for you. But I want to hang out on this verse for just a second because we're proclaiming, we're admonishing, we're teaching the purpose clause to present people to Christ, right. Paul says, to the Colossian believers. But what I love about this is it's labor, it's striving, I'm working, but I'm not doing it in the flesh. That's my point. Yes. It's according to His spirit, power his spirit. which works in me. And that's, I think, a differentiation for me is I don't have to work that hard, is my point. Yes. I'm working in flesh, I'm agonizing in the flesh. Wait a minute. No, it's His power that enables you, even, so even post-stroke, He enables you to share Christ with people mm-hmm. through yeah. His power working in you, right? Yeah, more bold than I've ever been. I tell people now, I said, the reason I'm still living is because of you. Mm. Because I want you to know him. The ministry I started now is called Pursue Ministries because God's pursuing people. I want people to know that God's pursuing you to know him. People don't really understand that. God gets yeah. to us through Christ. He became a man, get to us. Pursuing us now through his spirit. I love the, uh, we can't be good enough to get to God, but God was good enough to come to us. Yeah. And that's the verse. Another passage that you and I talked about at some length is First John Chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Let me read those. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. How clear is that? By the way, if you get eternal life, how long is eternity? It's life without end. How can you have an end with your life without end? You can't have that. It's eternal security. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. I remember one time I had a guy named Walt Hendrickson that said, uh, assurance of salvation is the blessing of the obedient man. Assurance of salvation is the Blessing, blessing of, of an obedient, obedient man. man. Yeah. yeah, if you're not obedient, you go, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. If I had a friend that said it this way. He said, I wouldn't preach it, but I kind of believe it. God doesn't want disobedient Christians to have assurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I don't really like yeah, that yeah. theologically, <laughs> but it makes the same yeah, kind of point. It does, that, yeah. you know, as, yeah. The other thing that you and I talked about, when you share the gospel, uh, it invigorates other Christians. Yeah. Because people need to hear the reminder of how Bill Howard, how Mike Leslie came to faith in Christ. Because we were sinners, we were locked in sin, we were headed to hell on a freight train. And someone introduced the gospel. Who shared the gospel with you? Thanks for asking. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Idaho, and I went to church maybe five times in my life until I was 20. So I didn't grow up in church at all. So I lived my life outside of God. So one day I found myself at the top of a hill in southeastern Idaho saying, God, are you there Ever, ever been in the Northwest, the big sky country, the moon is so big and bright. You can see the freighters in the moon. It's crazy. Beautiful. Yeah. But I remember looking at the moon. I said, God, are you there? Please show me who you are. Please reveal yourself to me. Help me know you. I just cried and cried and cried. Didn't know anything about God at all. The reason why I was up that mountain is because at seven years old, I had a friend, a next door neighbor that died by getting struck by lightning. And my mom did the great thing. She took me to see him in the funeral home. I still remember seeing his body. It's Clifford Carter. Seeing Clifford's body there, it looked like somebody took a match and torched his hair. Mm. 
I thought to myself as a seven-year-old boy, I thought, okay, here's Clifford. Where is Clifford? Here's Clifford's body. Where is Clifford? I never lost that thought in my head. It scared me to death. It literally scared the hell out of me mm-hmm. <laughs> eventually. Mm-hmm. But then uh, that thought just plagued me for my whole life. So I felt very alone and empty in my life, just purposeless. And so just bumped around life, making lots of air balls, shooting things that just never worked. They're just not working for me. So finally, that put me at the top of that hill. I played football at Idaho State University, and so I was up there after a game with Boise State University. We got beat, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And I went up there, and I said, okay, God, my roommates were two black guys and two white guys. Call us the Oreo house. (laughs) The party was always at the Oreo house. So you come there and party, drink kegs of beer and girls and all that stuff. So that's why I was up there. I just said, this is not working for me. I just I hit my beer in the party, sit on top of the ceilings. And this many earthly terms I yelled. It's not working for me. So the beer got more so just tore up the top of the ceiling and said, God, please are you there? Mm. Well, you know what happened the next morning on my door? God showed the name of a guy named John Strain. And John said, hey, I'm going to start a Bible study with a football team. You want to be a part of it? I went, well, that's crazy. I said, sure. So we got there. So there's 15 guys in the football team around a circle. He asked us one question. Who do you think God is? Is it? You can imagine we're all shooting major air balls trying to ask that question, right? Pretty much a proverbial elephant with a blind man yeah. thinking, thinking this is what he is. Yeah. That was me. So some of you don't know that. It's a proverb. There's all these blind men with an elephant, and one's holding the tail, one's holding the trunk, and, and they all have a different, it's a snake, it's whatever, yeah. But so, the elephant's going, I'm not in any of those right, things, I'm an right. elephant. That's what God does. I'm, I'm God. You can make me out who you want to be, but I, who I am, I can't choose who I am, right? So anyway, I said, okay, look, I realized that when the Bible, what I said what, and what he said was very different, so I became very teachable. I said, you please meet with me and help me figure this out? I said, sure. So I met with him for six months, and Easter Sunday of 1980, he invited me to a conference in West Yellowstone, Montana, with a guy named Josh McDowell spoke. Mm-hmm. And I sat in that room, and Josh went through Romans 1 through 8, the whole seminar. And I just sit there like, wow, pour it in, man, pour it in. And the Easter Sunday said, if you'd like to know God personally right now, well, just ask him. Mm-hmm. I was so lost. I just said, God, please. I believe who you are, that your God in Christ came to die for me and forgive my sins. Come into my life, please. And man, I'm telling you, for me, it was an experience. It's like the weight just lifted on my, just mm. left it off. Mm. I walked out that door, and it's like the snow was white, the sky was bluer, just new life mm-hmm. in Christ. Second Corinthians 517. New creatures. New creature, new creatures. This is awesome. So I've been sharing Christ ever since. So I went home and shared my sister. She came to Christ. My friends, they came to Christ. <laughs> my brother came to Christ. A lot of people came to Christ. This is all I said. Do you know who God is? Just like that. No? Well, who's who he is? <laughs> a human man died on your cross for your sins. He wants you to know him personally. Receive him as your Savior. Anyway, I've been infected, and I can't get over it. It's <laughs> my story. But again, just hearing your story and watching the tears for everybody, we go back to that place. Hmm. We go back to the place. We knew we were going to hell, and he loved us. And he took care of that for us. Yeah. And why, why wouldn't we be thankful? Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Right. You know, Larry yeah. Moyer again said, you know, the Christian life is saying thank you back to Jesus for what he's done. You can't repay him. No. It's not a debt we repay. Those good works are a thank you back to God. And the greatest way we can thank him is to share 
that message with someone. Who That's why God. I said, if Christ be God and died for me, how much is it for me to go share the love of Christ to people who don't know him yet? So yeah. so fun. So such an adventure. You got a baseball up here you wanted to talk about. I do. Two of them, actually. So, baseball. What's the difference? Did you play baseball? I did. I did. Okay. When I was a freshman in high yeah. school, they yeah. dropped the program. Yeah. I didn't get that far. So what's the difference between these, these two balls, uh, baseballs? I, I don't know. I'm holding one. Okay. Well, the difference is this ball is not a baseball at all. It's a wiffle ball. It's a baseball cover. Okay. So the difference is this has no impact. Pretty lightweight. Ready? Buddy, ready? Good catch. Not, not too scary, is it? No. You want me to hardball you threw, it? You, you hardball it. <laughs> so what's, what's the difference? What's in the inside, <clears throat> right? Every Christian wants to have impact in life because we can have Christ in us. Christ is in us. We have impact in the world. Part of what's wrong with the world today? Christians sit in the bench, they're kind of sometimes act like wiffle balls. You know, we're going to have to bench get in the game. It's so exciting, so fun to be, even if you're hit, people know who you are, right? Yeah, more than likely. Well, I want to read something that you have written, but uh, before I read that, anything else that you know, has come to mind? Again, I want to encourage uh, more than a carpenter that's been updated. Josh, but now his son, Sean, updated it. And Annie's little book called How Good is Good Enough? And this is a big issue for many people. Yeah. You know, I often talk about my Catholic background and how Catholics love God. They know they're sinful. Mm-hmm. They want to go to heaven. This is not a hard conversation. Great book for them. But we don't know what's good enough. Mm-hmm. And we're told mixed messages by, I was, nuns and priests in different parishes. And so this is a great, what does the scripture say about what is good enough? Right. And the bottom line is, you'll never be good enough. Well, you know, someone else had to be good for you. Question asked people a lot too, Michael, is that you know what the requirement is to get to heaven? What is the requirement to get to heaven? Well, people usually say what? Jesus. It's kind of like we're so religious. It's like the Sunday school teacher one day said to the kids in the class, "Okay, what's brown and bushy tail that eats nuts?" <laughs> Jesus. And the, yeah. <laughs> well, no. No. They said, you know, well, they Jesus, Jesus, Jesus." And finally said. Finally, I said, what's brown bush tail each touch? One kid says, I'm going to say a scroll, but I think it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I think the answer is Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. You wrote this a while back, and you wanted me to, to read it as our winding down time here. I walk in a daze and yet am conscious. I know myself to be a citizen of another world, but live familiarly in this one. I sense a change in my desire, convictions, and beliefs, but I'm still the same person. I love my friends and long for their salvation, but I am strangely out of step with their pagan way of life. I weep where I once laughed, and I laugh where I once wept. I am tender where I was once ruthless, yet unyielding where I was once gave way to pressures and temptations. I am a new person, yet I am the same person. What happened to me? A miracle. I became a Christian. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Chad Cates and Tycho. Thank you.